Welcome back to season three of Access and Opportunity. This season, we have explored how influential investors from across various pools of capital, including private equity, venture capital, and institutional investors, are helping women and multicultural-led businesses gain access to capital. I'm your host, Carla Harris. In this final episode, we welcome back Dr. Frida Kapoor-Klein, a founding partner at Kapoor Capital and founder and co-chair of the Kapoor Center for Social Impact. As our listeners may recall, we first spoke with Dr. Kapoor-Klein in season one and had such a great time talking to her that we decided to have her back for another impactful conversation this season. Dr. Kapoor Klein has devoted her entire career to creating opportunities for underserved communities and closing the gap that exists in today's venture funding landscape. Kapoor Capital recently released its annual impact report, which clearly demonstrates that you do not have to sacrifice returns when investing in women and multicultural-led businesses. And in fact, you can generate above-market returns when investing in multicultural and women entrepreneurs. Today, Frida will talk to us about the principles that guide Kapoor Capital's investment strategy, how a focus on skills instead of pedigrees can be both inclusive and lucrative, and how a new approach to venture capital might help change the capital access divide. Now, on to my conversation with Dr. Frida Kapoor Klein. Well, Frida, thank you so much for being with us again. And you're the the only interviewee that we've actually asked back for a second time. And so soon. Oh, my goodness. I am honored. Or is it to correct everything I got wrong the no, first time? No, <laughs> no, not at all. It's, it's the part two, honey. You have released an amazing report. So I'd like to spend the bulk of this conversation talking about the report. Why did you put it out there? Did you have any issues in finding the companies that are in the portfolio since 2011 that's mm-hmm had this specific focus. Let's start a little bit with your philosophy around investing and why you did the 2011, and then we'll take it from there. Okay. So since 2011, Kapoor Capital has been 100% invested in impact companies. And I know that's become a really popular, in Mm -hmm. vogue, everybody's impact means all things to all people, but no. We have a very rigorous and specific definition of impact. So every company in our portfolio since 2011 has been closing gaps of access or opportunity or outcome for either low-income communities and or communities of color. Mm-hmm. So we're sector agnostic. We have things in education. We have things in healthcare. We have things in criminal justice. We have things in people ops. So we don't care what the sector is, but it has to be tech, has to be gap closing. Mm-hmm. And what have you found? Did you find a supply issue? And the reason I ask that is because, as you know, the dominant refrain, especially in the venture community or even in the investing community at large, when they are asked, why don't you have more companies in your portfolio that are founded by people of color and or women? The number one refrain is we can't find any. So is there a supply issue, Frida? They're looking in all the wrong places. There is no supply issue. We get somewhere approaching 3,000 pitches a year. 60% of our portfolio, thereabouts, is underrepresented founders. And 
that's what comes in, sometimes introduced through people we know. But we also think that warm intros are biased. Uh Uh-huh. Because the only way you get a warm intro is to know an insider. Mm -hmm. And if we're about finding the talent and finding the opportunity, the business opportunity that other firms are missing, then they're already a couple of degrees outside of our network. So we let companies and individuals that we've never met, never heard of, they don't know anybody who overlaps with us, they can submit a pitch over the website. We have funded companies that none of us had anybody in common and they submitted a pitch over the website and we invite them in and they met all our criteria and out of those 3,000, they were one of the you know 10 or 12 or 15 we funded in that particular year. Wow. So before we get to the returns, which I am so anxious to have our listeners hear about, let's talk a little bit about the criteria. You said if they've met your criteria, they get in. So can you take people through that quickly? What makes a winner for you? What makes a winner is it has to be a great business. These are hardcore, rigorous tech businesses. Mm -hmm. And by tech, we mean not that somebody has a website, but that tech is core to the business, Mm -hmm. that technology is being leveraged to scale. Okay. These are businesses, again, across any sector. So we're sector agnostic. We're early stage, things that are often known as pre-seed or seed. Sometimes we'll come in at a series A, Mm -hmm. but at any rate, we're early and we try to do follow-on funding. Mm -hmm. So they have to be tech, they have to be early stage, have to be a really great business, and most importantly, they have to close gaps of access, opportunity, or outcome, again, either for low-income communities and or communities of color. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that they're more likely to have a founder who's lived experience gave them the idea and the passion for that business. Mm -hmm. We don't have requirements about the demographics of our founders, but if you look at our investment criteria, they are disproportionately underrepresented founders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the returns. Okay. Uh, And I don't know of anyone else, any other venture fund that has put their returns out there in the context of a report the way you have. So let me say congratulations and commend you, you on that. One of the things that we've said at Morgan Stanley is that we believe there's outsized returns for investing in this space. And your report clearly points to that. You know, exactly. whether you're looking at the Cambridge Index or whether you're looking at the Pitch Book Index, which are both widely embraced by the VC community, you've outperformed. We have. And we decided we would only use those very conservative benchmarks, mm-hmm. PitchBook and Cambridge Associates, and we outperformed on both. Yes. Is there anything else to the secret sauce for the playbook that, that you'd like to add? We don't care about your credentials unless they are directly related to your business. And I think that where many candidates, be they for employment or as entrepreneurs, people look, they want to they want to know what schools you went to or what companies you work for. I don't care. I want to know where the passion for your business comes from and where your skill set to build that business comes from. Mm-hmm. And if it comes from having gotten a computer science degree from a top school, great. If it comes from somewhere else, that's also great. 
And I think too often we confuse skills with pedigrees. And I think that's another piece of our secret sauce. And it's part of the lived experience, but it's a little bit different. It's how do they have the capability to build this business to hire a team? So for us, when we're hiring, be it a summer associate, be it a principal, be it an analyst, one of the things that's must have, not nice to have, is show us how you have built and managed diverse teams. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, if most venture capital firms that say they care about diversity and are trying to make a difference, if they go through who's already at the table and ask what each of those people's experiences has been to actually recruit and retain and promote and mentor diverse talent, I think that they'll fall short. Mm -hmm. And they wonder why they can't achieve it now they don't have the core competencies to do it. Yeah. They've never prioritized it. Yeah, understood. Okay, that's a great playbook point. And what feedback have you received from the VC community? Because the other thing about this report, which I must admit, I was clutching my pearls when I first read <laughs> and it. And we is know that, about Carla's yeah. pearls. <laughs> Man, you went straight at it, we Frida. Did. You called the VC community out. So what feedback have you received from entrepreneurs, from your VC sisters and brothers, and from what I'd call institutional allocators like pension funds? Well, it's interesting. There have been a lot of crickets, meaning ah, silence. Okay. And I'm sure there's a lot of different kinds of conversations behind our backs that we're not privy to. But the data speak for themselves, and we, we put it all out there. And people can make whatever kind of excuses they want to make. So what we've heard on the positive front, we've heard from lots of entrepreneurs, as you asked about. We've heard from lots of co-investors with us who may not be impact funds, but Mm -hmm. are in with us on a deal-by-deal basis. And we've heard from a lot of people who define themselves as impact or impact friendly, maybe a different definition of impact. All of those have been hugely enthusiastic. Yes. And what everyone has said is, thank you for putting the numbers out there that show that there is nothing concessionary about this kind of investing. Mm -hmm. That we outperformed, as you mentioned, PitchBook and Cambridge Associates with a 100% gap-closing impact lens, and that that means a completely off-the-charts set of demographics about our founders. Mm -hmm. Which I think is so compelling. And as you know, you and I talked about this before, my philosophy is that those who don't get it will hug the data. So the data is so critical, Mm -hmm. I think, to changing minds. Let's forget changing hearts. It's about changing the minds and changing the spend at the end of the day. But what would you say to someone who says, yeah, but I have a hard time trying to find the talent to come into my organization? Their circles are just too narrow and they're looking in the wrong places. Okay, so how do I get out? I don't don't have any experience in being able to do this. So what would you suggest I do, Frida? So first of all, you're talking to somebody who I think we're at our eighth class of summer associates. Mm -hmm. We get several hundred applicants for, I think we have eight 
positions this year, they are all underrepresented people of color Mm -hmm. from the top 10 business schools usually. And again, we have hundreds of people applying every year. And we say to folks, this does not lead to a job. Mm -hmm. We're a small firm. This is just to get a foot in the door at venture capital. Yes. So if we have that experience, Anybody can have that experience. Just by putting a shingle out saying we're hiring. That was Saying it. we're hiring. And we partner with certain organizations. We partner with organizations like Management Leaders for Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We partner with business school associations. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of Google groups and Facebook groups and all kinds of lists of people of color in tech and all kinds of groups that we just post out there and we get deluge. Yes. And is it the same playbook point? Because I think that's a real playbook point for those who are investors. Same playbook point if you want to get the right companies in front of you. Put Just put the shingle out and say, we're looking for it. Whether it's hiring or whether it's looking for deal flow, part of it's putting the shingle out, but part of it is also putting the message out mm-hmm. that you actually are welcoming to those individuals, either as employees or as entrepreneurs. So one of the things that's really been fascinating is to track those things that don't just come in through the website, but that get directed to any one of us on the investment team, that we can track the inflow of deals by the demographics of our team members. So I Mm. am much more likely to get a white woman sending her pitch to me Whereas an African-American woman is much more likely to send her pitch to Ulili. Uh A Latinx is much more likely to send to Carolina or to Regina. So we have team members that span races and genders as well as sectors. Mm -hmm. And so people have seen them at a conference or you know, heard them speak or read a post or follow them on Twitter. And so they feel some comfort and will say, hey, are you interested in taking a look at my company? Which speaks to the issue, again, of diversifying your base, if you will, at your organization. You also talked about when we were together before, and you definitely pronounced it in the report, about the lived experiences. You think that that gives an edge to the the founders, if you will, and being the unique owner of the opportunity. Can you just be a little bit more explicit about that and maybe give us a couple of examples where you knew that this was definitely going to be a winner, a high likely to be a winner because this person had a unique insight. Well, we see it all the time. And and I think that where most investors and, and venture capitalists would agree is they like to see an entrepreneur who's passionate about her or his business. And one of the ways, as you express, that this passion shows up is that it connects to who they are as a person, mm-hmm. their lived experience, their background, how they grew up. And so We have companies, whether it's in ed tech, whether it's in fintech, whether it's in housing, where people's lived experience growing up in Section 8 in public housing gave them a set of experiences, often negative, of how they don't want anyone else to be treated. And so they're committed to solving the problem of homelessness, but they're leveraging technology to do this. And that's a company called Blockable, Mm -hmm. B-L-O-K-A-B-L-E. And it is tech-enabled. It is factory-built. It allows people to build homes, community centers, senior centers in half the time and at half the cost of traditional building. Wow. And it is 
just amazing. And it's the lived experience of the two founders who brought a lot of the passion and the insight. Mm -hmm. We have that in ed tech. We have that in criminal justice. We have that in every one of our sectors. That's outstanding. And Frida, it was very clear to me in the report that you have an explicit call to action. And I think it's VC 2.0. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I think one of the places that traditional venture capital, traditional investing has tripped up is a singular focus on financial returns. Part of your VC 2.0. So let's have it. Yes. Exactly. So I think that while we are indeed very proud of our financial returns, we are at least as proud of the positive differences that our entrepreneurs have made in the world. Mm Uh, in changing changing hearts and minds and lives of people by closing those gaps. So that when we have a company like Genius Plaza that's currently serving more than 30 million of the world's poorest children, that's breathtaking. Yes, it is. It's humbling. It's inspiring. And so to have those returns side by side with changing the lives of millions of children and families and making the world a better place, I mean, what could be better? There's no debate about the impact. And actually, you make me think for a second here, Frida, because if I think about the, quote, winners that the market would define that were VC-backed that have become public companies in the last even couple of years. To your point in the report about how you could pivot and really focus on the good, each of those companies could also be defined as impact with just a slight shift in terms of offering the goods and services to make sure that it's it's more available, if you will, to communities that don't necessarily have an access to it. And I can exactly. and the names are household names today, but exactly. with a slight focus. And you're right, that would significantly amplify the financial returns and would certainly give them a boost as these companies continue to scale and become more mature. Exactly. Yeah. It would give them a brand boost. It would help them in the war for talent. There's so much great talent out there that wants purpose as well as a paycheck. Yes. Well, no question around the millennials and Zers, and they are quickly becoming the dominant professional force in the marketplace today. Exactly. Yeah. Anything else to uh, VC 2.0? Well, I really encourage everybody to jump in with us. There is not a shortage of opportunity. There's not a shortage of talent. And I would argue that for some of the world's most pressing problems, there's a real urgency, whether it is about addressing income inequality, addressing climate change. I mean, there are big, important, pressing issues. And from where we sit, technology and entrepreneurship can really provide fresh and much-needed perspectives. Mm -hmm. I could not agree more. And we could not agree more at Morgan Stanley, which is why we have the Innovation Lab. And while we we haven't broadly announced it going forward, we are going to start to focus on specific issues and looking for companies that can solve specific problems as a part of our lab, not to take anything away from what we've done, but to really try to double down on providing solutions. So, Frida, the... Success that you have had leaves no debate. So what does the success of your fund say about the rest of the venture and the investing community? They're missing some key points. They're missing an understanding 
that genius is evenly distributed across every zip code, it's access and opportunity that are not Mm -hmm. evenly distributed. They're missing an understanding that every business has an impact, has a set of impacts. Some are positive, some are neutral, some are negative. And we all need to change the ledger. We all need to start accounting for our financial returns in relationship to what kinds of positive impacts are we causing, which ones are neutral, and what are our negative impacts, and how should we be held accountable for that. And they're also missing this key component of how important lived experience is for the talent that we bring on as our colleagues, as well as the talent that fires the passion of entrepreneurs. Okay, as you know, we always do the lightning round. That is a tradition now on Access and Opportunity. Because you've already answered these questions for us in the first round of conversations, we've changed the questions for you. Okay. Favorite TV show? Billions. Okay. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Dogs or cats? Oh, dogs. All the way. Rescue dogs. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Cake or pie? Oh, a little depends on the flavor, but probably pie. Okay, me too. I'm a pie girl. What's worse, laundry or dishes? Oh, they're really competing for the bottom. (laughs) Really, really competing for the bottom. At a movie, candy or popcorn? Popcorn. Yeah, my girl. Butter, butter. Say it with lots of it. (laughs) Email or phone call? Email. What's one word that you'd like to use to describe your personality? Irreverent. My word for you is fire. (laughs) Well, Frida, thank you once again (laughs) for being with us. Thank you all for joining us for another exciting season of Access and Opportunity. And while we work on season four, check out more of our content on the Morgan Stanley Inclusive Innovation and Opportunity page. You can follow the link in these episode notes. See you next time.